Welcome from the Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stern. All right, man. Trade deadline is close. We got some teams that are returning to form, but also some teams that are having some issues in our major markets. And we'll have our favorite segment plead their case at the end. But to start, Embiid VP is over. Embiid is out for several weeks, which pretty much ruins his chances of winning MVP, in my opinion. Do you feel at this point it's Jokic's to lose, or do you have somebody else from the field taking it? I think it really comes down to um, if the prognosis that they gave Embiid is accurate or not. We know that these kinds of injuries sometimes can be a little bit more complicated than they appear on the surface. So the official word on it, Joel Embiid is going to miss two more weeks with an officially ruled bone bruise in his left knee after he um, landed awkwardly. It was a non-contact injury. He hyperextended it. There was nothing broken and no structural damage. I think that if he only misses two weeks and comes back the way that they say he will, and he picks up where he left off, assuming there's not um, a long acclimation period to return to form, I think he can still win it, especially given the fact that in the East, with so many underperforming teams, there's a good chance that the 76ers will still be able to maintain a top three seed out there, even with his absence for two weeks. So I still think that the award is his to lose. If he ends up missing more time than that, then I think that Jokic has to be the next man up. As we've been saying for weeks, this MVP award seems like it's going to come down to one of these two guys for sure. Yeah, I think it's always been Jokic's to lose, honestly. Um, and so this to me further solidifies his chances. The only way I see him being winning is if Jokic misses time uh, or if the 76ers lose pretty much every game while he's gone, and then they come back and win 10 in a row as soon as he's back, further painting the narrative that he is the most valuable player on that team. Um, For sure. But outside of those two, if you had to pick someone else, who's, who's an underdog that you're potentially looking at? So given the way, I mean, I've said this before, storyline matters a lot. So does team success. All those things have to go into it. LeBron James has widely been considered like one of the, one of the, if not the best player in the league for the last seemingly decade. And he hasn't won an MVP award in like eight seasons because probably for the most part, most of the storylines around LeBron's teams don't um, have a whole lot of adversity to him. It's like pretty much a given that he's going to do good this year. There is a little bit of a storyline that could potentially develop that might carve a path for him to win the MVP again. The Lakers are without Anthony Davis and they have been without him for a while and they're going to be without him for a little longer. So if LeBron ups his production and the Lakers can stay afloat during all this time and finish with a top two seed, probably see an uptick in LeBron's production, that could be a narrative where LeBron could maybe sneak in and take another MVP award. It's a big if. We have to see if LeBron is going to, elevate his plan if the Lakers will get through this patch all right but I think that the path is potentially there for him too yeah it's funny talking about LeBron as an underdog and the two people I'm going to mention as an underdog but um I think if the Warriors crack into the top three and Stephen Curry continues to play that he, the way that he is um he has the potential to win it as well uh and then also Giannis is very close in terms of player efficiency rating. And I use that metric all the time because the last 10 MVPs have been either number one or in the top three uh, for every single one of those MVPs. So Giannis is in the top three right now. 
is sitting at, I think, 29 and some change. And then uh, Jokic and Embiid are right there at 31.5, 31.53. So I think if Giannis continues to play the way that he is, then the only thing that would prevent him from winning it would just be writer's fatigue of seeing the same guy win over and over again. And Always the, the same story. Yeah, and the person who, and I don't think anybody's won three MVPs in a row since Bird did it in the 80s. So it'd be an impressive feat in its own right. Um, for storyline, though, I think, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but Jimmy Butler uh, not being with the Heat for, I think, about 10 games when COVID protocols were in place and then coming back and now the team is showing that they are the uh, A team to beat in the East uh, with a 9-1 record, even though they haven't been healthy overall. Um, and so the storyline really is, if we take your most valuable player out, your team can't win. And that's pretty much what happened with the Heat. So I think he's missed too many games to really truly be considered for it. But if the Heat make it into a top three seed, um, and he plays the rest of the season, then I think people are going to at least give him some consideration. Not going to win, but some consideration. Yeah, I think the other thing, too, that'll be interesting about the Embiid missing time storyline will be how this is going to affect league perception on Ben Simmons. I mean, in my opinion, I think Ben Simmons is super overrated, and I think that a lot of people probably agree with me. I mean, yeah, he's very elite defender. He can defend all five positions. We know all that leads the league in deflections weird stat but I mean I guess it has an impact I just think that he's really overrated I don't even think he should have made the all-star team this year and this is his time to now prove everybody wrong I know that recently um, someone criticized Ben Simmons and said something to that effect as well that he was pretty overrated and Ben Simmons's response was well what do I care he's uh, some 5-5 commentator basically brushing it off but um, I think that this is a good time for Ben Simmons to show people that he is more than just an elite defender. I think that there's a lot of elite defenders out there. If you're going to be an all-star player and a foundational player and the kind of player that Doc Rivers says that Ben Simmons can be, this is the time for him to show us that. Now that Embiid is going to be missing time, we need to see what Simmons can do unleashed. And I think that this is going to do a lot for the Sixers general management to be able to kind of assess what they have in Simmons. And it's going to be an important period for determining his value to other teams going forward too. So it'll be very interesting to see how he plays um, being the man in charge of the show with Embiid gone. I think the best thing would be if Simmons got traded to the Timberwolves because then I could just put all of my disdain to one place. <laughs> the most disliked team in the league. Did you know that the Timberwolves, fun fact, actually recently became the most losing franchise of any sport in history? The most losing franchise that is active of any sport in any franchise. That is shocking because I feel like the Browns probably held that title for a long time, but now they're obviously doing better. But that's, it's surprising, but not surprising. Yeah, pretty, pretty bleak. But moving on to our trade deadline, we know that one of the big dominoes, I mean, I don't really think it was a big domino, but Blake Griffin 
finally got moved. Seemingly, there's a ton of names being thrown out there right now. Who is finally going to be the first domino to fall? What's going to kick this off? Who's going to get moved? What do you think? Um, I feel like to get it kicked off, it's going to be someone out of Texas. So I think it's either going to be P.J. Tucker or LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, both of them have pretty much talked to the team that they're that they want out and the team is working with them to uh, do that. So I think it'll be one of them too. Um, I think Andre Drummond is probably waiting to see where people get traded to, to finalize his buyout and then go somewhere. Um, so I, I think he's another person that's going to be moved. And additionally, I think from an actual trade perspective, the person that has the best chance of being truly traded is Kyle Lowry because he has, I feel, the most trade value of anybody that I mentioned and is on an expiring deal. And I think we'll go definitely to a contender. Um, they talked about Heat potentially. I could see him also going to somewhere like the Clippers or even to the 76ers, which he's from. Um, so I think that those four have the best odds of being on a new team uh, come March 26th. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. What's interesting is a lot of the big names or I guess the biggest names that we're hearing all seem to be big men, similar positional um, similar positional overlap on a lot of teams' favorite free agents right now. And I would say that for a lot of teams, the number one option would probably be Andre Drummond because he's a buyout candidate. You're going to be able to get him on an attractive contract and he's not going to cost you any assets if you're a team wanting to acquire him. He's also probably the youngest and the most effective of all the players that are like readily available that you can easily get right now. So I think that everyone right now is kind of holding out for that. A lot of teams like the Celtics, for example, the LA teams, they're all holding out for Drummond. And I think that Drummond right now is kind of, like you said, biding his time, but not so much because he wants to see where someone else signs. Cause I really do think he is the number one option for a lot of teams. I think that for him, he's really gauging which team is going to put a plan in place for him, not just for this season, but for the long term. I think that he's still a really young player. He's got his prime still left ahead. He's only 27. Um, and I think that he wants to go to a situation that's going to have some stability. I know that he was really hurt um, whenever he got traded from Detroit. He felt really blindsided. And um, I know that right now he's looking for a situation where he can get a long-term deal and he's someone that the team envisions as a long-term fixture and not just a plug-and-play guy. So I think as soon as Andre Drummond goes, we're going to start seeing people get traded like crazy because teams are then going to have to go for their second and third options. So I think that's one. Kyle Lowry, I don't see getting moved just because he expressed himself that um, his, his preferred option would be to just play out this season and then take free agency how it comes. He expressed that he would rather just see how this season goes. And I think that, like you said, um, Raptors management tends to have a pretty good relationship with their players. I think that they would honor that if that's what he wanted. And that's what he's expressing. So I think he'll end up staying. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge, it'll be interesting to see where he winds up. He's definitely moving somewhere. But like I said, he's going to be, for a lot of teams, a second best option. and. Um, it's probably going to have to all start with Andre Drummond before this all gets kicked off. Um, someone that already got moved, Hamidou Diallo traded to the Pistons. I don't know that a lot of people think that that matters too much. Why? What, what's your take on it? 
method. Why? Like, what? what Apparently, <laughs> well, here's the justification. According to the Pistons, the Pistons see that Hamidou Diallo is a player that could be a core piece for their future. I know that sounds crazy to some people, but it's not that crazy. Look at it like this. The Pistons are in Detroit. No free agent is just going to go to Detroit. That's not going to happen. Yeah, but that wasn't really like that. First of all, that was crazy. I When Jeremy Grant signed there, no one thought that Jeremy Grant was as good as he was. If Jeremy Grant already had a season under his belt like this, he would have gotten way better offers. But so I'm offered to go back to Denver. So he chose Detroit over. Denver. No, they, they gave him a bigger deal. They definitely gave him a bigger deal. Denver liked him. Denver wanted to keep him, but they definitely offered him a, a more long-term deal. Denver wasn't giving him more than two years, unfortunately. I don't know why they wouldn't offer him more, but point being, chances are they're not going to get an established star to go sign there. They're going to have to either pick up a free agent that was undervalued, who blossomed there, or draft somebody. So that's what they're trying to do here with Hamidu Diallo. They're trying to trade for a free agent that they feel is undervalued that can maybe blossom there a la Jeremy Grant. Why would they think that he could do this? I mean, let's look at the guy. I mean, he's six foot five. He plays a really athletic brand of basketball. He's already won a dunk contest and he's only 22 years old. He right now is the age of some rookies that have come into the league. So I can see how they might find a 22 year old guy that's got clearly plus athleticism and has shown steady improvement. He's always been known to be a good defender. But this year, he's up to scoring average to 11.9 points a game. He's shooting 29.3% from three, which isn't excellent, but it's up. And he's taking that shot now. He didn't even used to take it at all before. And his field goal percentage at 48% more than makes up for it. So I'm thinking they're thinking, hey, we might be able to get this guy who is clearly undervalued over there because Hamidou Diallo is not going to overtake Shea Gilgis-Alexander or Lou Dort over there. So they really did it because they felt like positionally, if you're the Thunder, he didn't really fit positionally. They get a little pick out of it. They get another player on the perimeter that they feel is a better positional fit. And the Pistons get a guy that they feel has high upside and untapped potential, which they might be right at 22 years old, good defender. It doesn't hurt. He's an upgrade for them in one way. So not a bad move. Yeah. Do you think there will be any blockbusters? I, I don't personally. I've heard of one blockbuster rumor out there that would be shocking, but incredible. Um, well, rumor has it that Carl Anthony Towns may be available for the right price. That would be a massive blockbuster, given the fact that Carl Anthony Towns is a player that when he's right, could be a top five player in the, in the entire league. This guy was supposed to be, like you said, the next LeBron, supposedly, at one point. I mean, the guy is six foot 11, 250 pounds, can defend the inside, the outside. He's only 25. People forget Carl Anthony Towns is only 25 years old. All this and an offensive game where you have to guard him from everywhere. He can score from everywhere. If he goes to the right situation and a team unlocks him and allows him to reach his full potential, I think that that would be massive because I think that as good as Embiid has been this year, I think that Carl Anthony Towns can be even better. And in the right situation, that would be a game changer. I've heard rumors that 
the Miami Heat, <laughs> I mean, you hear it all the time. We're uh, maybe going to get the tires on this. But... <laughs> every single person. In. Exactly. But we'll get into the heat later. Uh, we have a little bit more on them in a bit. But that's one guy who might be available. Um, Victor Oladipo, for some people, may be considered a blockbuster. He's likely to move. But I don't really think he's really that impactful at this point. So I think that the most impactful player that I've heard would be Carl Anthony Towns, although the likelihood of him moving, I don't know how good it is. Yeah, for me, the most impactful player, but least sexy name is probably Vucevic. Uh, everybody throws his name around every single trade deadline, and he's seemingly getting better and better every year. So I think Orlando would need the sink thrown at them. But if somebody decided to do that, then I think that they would bite. But moving on, Miami Heat, like you talked about, have been in great form. They tied the Nets for the best record in the league over the last 10 games with nine and one. What what do you feel contributed contributing to the turnaround? Well, one thing for sure has been of note. When the Heat were losing games, they were awful at holding on to the ball. They were the worst team in the league at turning it over. And they also were really, really bad defensively. One of the worst, bottom five. Over the last 11 games, the Heat actually have the number one defense in the NBA. So they've really tightened it up defensively. Um, it's, it's been really hard to score on the Heat lately. And they've really cut down on their turnovers. I think that um, one thing that you'll notice when watching the Heat now is that even though Jimmy Butler is listed as a shooting guard forward, he's pretty much a point guard now. Um, they're pretty much running the offense through him most of the time. And you're seeing it in his assist numbers. He's averaging an all-time high in assists per game at eight per game. So um, running the offense through Jimmy Butler, allowing him to be the point guard has significantly cut down on turnovers because when he's getting eight assists per game, but he's only turning it over 2.2 times per game, an assist to turnover ratio of 3.6. I mean, Jimmy Butler should be considered one of the best point guards in the game right now with those kinds of statistics. So um, I think that's got to be one of the biggest things and doing it without Bam the last couple of games too. Um, they're still winning. So it seems like this team has finally uh, started to get their team identity back a little bit from where it was last year. What do you think? I agree. I think also they've been one of the best, if not the best defensive team in the league during this entire stretch too. So they, yeah, number one. Yeah. So they've definitely picked it up on that end. Um, and I think, the other interesting piece is they haven't been fully healthy really any game. Like every single game, somebody is sitting out. Drogic sat out a couple, Bam sat out a couple, Hero has been out a couple, Jimmy was obviously out for an extended period of time, and then Sense has been out a couple. So you're always missing somebody who is key from your lineup every night. And so having to start KZ at the center spot, having to start just all these different hodgepodge lineups they don't have consistency. And so while they still have turned it up in the last 10 games, I think they still have another level to get to. And I think so too. That's something that's probably um, going to be great for them going in the second half of the season, especially because I think the East, there's still an opportunity to claim one top two spots. Um, yeah, definitely. Especially with the, the other thing out, too, kind of leaves a, a gap there. Um, and the Bucks, while they've been good, I think 
they still have their weaknesses. So people are are going to be able to exploit those. And I think the Heat are in a prime position to make a run to not face Boston for the first uh, series. But even so, I think they do the same zone against Boston. They beat Boston again in, in six games. Yeah, I agree. And I think that this really does benefit them. Having to play all these different lineups is going to be useful in the playoffs when you have to make adjustments and play outside of your typical rotations and sets. I think it's going to be really, really important that they got all this experience right now, mixing these guys in and getting them playing time early. Um, I don't think that they've had at any given time two of their guys be on a hot tear at the same time. It seems like at any given time this year, They've been carried by the play of one player or another while having the rest of the team kind of have down production. We're finally now starting to see multiple players get hot at the same time. Goran Dragic the other game just went off for 20 points in the fourth quarter, which was the second most points he scored in any quarter in his career. So um, it's nice to see that he's clearly getting healthy again. Kendrick Nunn, who was a lost man last year and looked like he couldn't hit any open shots, is starting to knock down shots and um, perform serviceably. And Tyler Hero, who has been up and down, is finally starting to find a little bit more consistency from range after seeing a dip in his shooting production from outside when the season started. So I can only imagine that when they get Avery Bradley back, Bam back, they're going to look a lot better. But um, going off what we were saying earlier, it seems that even though the Heat started out with a losing record, they're back here now, over 500, currently sitting fourth in the East. You have to know that Pat Riley and their general managers are probably thinking that they have to make a move. They're seemingly mentioned in every single trade rumor for every single trade candidate at any given time. They've supposedly made offers already for Aldridge and Lowry that both consisted of combinations of Kelly Olenek, Goran Dragic, Avery Bradley, and a pick. It seems that for neither one of those players were they willing to include um, the obvious Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson that every, seen, every single team seems to ask for. Um, P.J. Tucker, apparently the Rockets wanted either Duncan Robinson or Tyler Hero, which the Heat said no about. So um, it seems that a lot of this is just speculation and they're just going to be attached to every rumor out there. But who do you think actually is a legitimate trade candidate that the Heat may be able to get? And who do you think would be the best candidate that they may be able to get? Um, I mean, of the people that you mentioned in terms of who I think is most likely, it would be Aldridge, because I feel like the buy price for him would be very low and they could exchange uh, potentially a, a pick plus an expiring contract just to get Aldridge out of there. Um, but also Aldridge might be a buyout candidate. So again, if he's a buyout candidate, then it's, it's even easier to get him. Um, but aside from that, I think that the Rockets, once they kick the tires on all the trade options for P.J. Tucker, like nobody is gonna pay a young player on a cheap contract to a team to get a 35 year old guy who's on an expiring contract. It's just no, no one is going to do that. I don't care how nice the sneaker collection is. No one is going to trade that for P.J. Tucker. So the Rockets aren't going to get Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, or anybody who is half of that caliber that is young on another team. It's just not going to happen. 
And so they need to stop being greedy in terms of look at what you already got for James Harden and get a top 25 pick protected first rounder that converts into two second rounders plus some expiring deal um, just to get PJ Tucker out of the locker room and have somebody else who wants to be there. So I don't know who all in all ends up, but I do think Lamarcus has the best chance. I think Lowry has the second best chance um, because they both fit the needs that the Heat need. Um, I think Kendrick Nunn is good, but he's inconsistent on a nightly basis. And Lowry has championship experience. Um, and then I think Lamarcus Aldridge fits that offensive four spot, although he's a liability on defense. At least he gives Bam a good running mate to stretch the floor from mid range. Yeah, uh, if I'm the Miami Heat, I know that everybody wants to see a move get made. It makes for great uh, headlines and storylines and whatnot. But I would not trade for almost anybody if I'm the Heat that I've heard was available. Because if I'm the Heat, I don't trade for a guard and I don't trade for an aging vet like LaMarcus Aldridge, who is going to be costing me another future pick when you already, as the Miami Heat, have almost no picks because you keep trading for old vets like this. I don't, I don't repeat that same pattern again and empty out the well again unless it's for an impact guy that you foresee being a piece for a couple of years, not just a one-season rental. So if I'm the Heat, I'm not trading any assets for a guy that's only going to be in my plans for right now. I just wouldn't do it. Um, I guess it's probably not realistic or likely, but they have apparently been inquiring a lot about Vucevic. Um, Orlando's asking price, obviously, is extremely high. And although he would be a great complement alongside Bam, they need a big guy that can rebound and can shoot from three and space the floor. That's the perfect fit for Bam is a, a big guy that can rebound and shoot from three. But I don't think that they're going to be willing to pay up when it costs for Vucevic. So I don't know that they're going to be the ones to get him. I'm sure that Orlando could probably get a better package from someone else. And as far as the Timberwolves and the Carl Anthony Towns rumors, the Heat may be interested to do it, but there's just so many hurdles. Jimmy Butler used to play with Carl Anthony Towns and he blew that situation up pretty bad on the way out. I don't know what their relationship is like these days or if uh, Jimmy would welcome playing with Carl Anthony Towns again. And again, the Timberwolves likely would demand something insane, probably even bigger than what Vucevic would demand. So I don't know that the Heat would probably be the team that could offer the best package anyway. So it'd be tough to get. But it is nice to see that regardless of who they trade for, they seemingly have enough right now to at least play some competitive ball. But moving on, problems in L.A. We can't really say the same for the L.A. teams going into the second half. Over the last 10 games, both L.A. teams have losing records of four and six. What do you think? What do you make of the recent struggles that L.A. has been having? For the Lakers, it makes sense. LeBron, as good as he is, cannot do it all by himself anymore. And Anthony Davis is out. You have your second best player out. And while Kuzma is good and is seemingly the third option, second when AD is out, they just don't have enough 
to on a night in night out basis be winning all the time. And so I think the good thing for these teams is they already started the season off well. So they have the third and fourth seed, but if they continue this slide and continue this trend downward, the Nuggets are going to leap them. The Warriors and Mavericks have the potential to go on a winning streak and leap them. So I think it's a cautionary tale for those two teams to continue this inconsistency, but the Clippers, it's inexcusable. Like they have a good rotation of big men who are all serviceable. They have PG and Kawhi who have both been pretty good this season. And so they, I think, need to make a move for a guard at the deadline, for, uh, specifically a shooting, or I mean, a point guard, um, because they, they need to have a, a third option there and somebody who can be a playmaker on the floor. Because if they continue to lose, then it's, it's not going to be pretty. And they play the Mavericks next, and that, I think, is going to be another test of how uh, much they're going to continue down this slide because they have the Mavericks twice and then they play Charlotte and Atlanta, which Charlotte has been playing pretty well all season. Atlanta has been playing inspired ball since Lloyd Pierce got fired and Nate McMillan was promoted. So they have a pretty tough slate of games uh, upcoming and they can't really sleep on any of these teams. Yeah, honestly, when I look at it, I think that the Lakers probably have a little bit more of a concern than the Clippers do just because the Clippers issues are probably more focus, motivation, and buy-in related. They probably just ease up because this is the kind of team that both the leaders of this team are pretty laid back guys in terms of their personality. Kawhi Leonard becomes someone else in the postseason, but even then, he's not really like that vocal fire you up leader he's more of a lead by example type and having that laid back personality type where you don't really have that vocal guy to whip you into shape can lend itself to sometimes having lapses in the regular season just because from time to time they may not have full uh full mental lock-in on the task at hand they know that what matters is the playoffs and they're going to get there so i think that they can still easily just flip the switch and turn it on whereas the lakers they're going to be missing Anthony Davis for at least two more weeks. And he's been missing since February. I don't know that that's ideal because LeBron at 36 years old to be able to keep the Lakers at the number three spot, like where they are right now, he's going to have to increase his level of production, which means he's probably going to have to play bigger minutes, play a larger role as a 36 year old. That's not ideal. You don't want to be burning him up in the regular season when you're probably going to be getting into some pretty big battles in the Western Conference playoffs this year, where seemingly everybody has a chance to compete. So um, I think that that's really bad for the Lakers that they're going to be spending LeBron right now. Um, the Clippers at number four, I agree with you. They're missing Pat Beverly. Um, and even when he has played, he hasn't looked the same. They could use some improved guard play. That's probably the one thing they could really use um, some more of, some more point guard, shooting guard depth. Um, if they somehow um, pull it off. The addition of Victor Oladipo would be really nice for them. He'd slide in and do great for them. 
he probably has the exact things they need from that position right now, even at his um, lowered production. But I think that the Clippers will still ultimately figure it out. And I'm going to go ahead and pick the Clippers to finish above the Lakers, even though right now they're at number four behind the Lakers. All right. Well, moving on, everybody's favorite segment, plead their case, where you will ask me a series of questions and I will plead that person or situation's case. I am ready to go. All right. So starting up, Shea Gilgis Alexander has scored 32 points per game, six assists per game. Plead his case on why he'd be a top five point guard in the next two years. Yeah, so Shea has been excellent uh, as of late. Excellent is an understatement. Um, I think that what he's doing is incredible, and nobody's really talking about it because a Thunder is a team that everybody writes off pretty much every year, and then somehow they do well. And they're sitting with three potential trade bait candidates with Trevor Ariza, George Hill, and Al Horford. So they can continue to add to their uh, pick treasure trove. But quick stat for unassisted field goals this season, James Harden at number five is 78.4% of his shots are unassisted field goals. Trey Young at 81.2, Chris Paul 82.6, Luka Doncic 84.5, Shea 87.2% of unassisted field goals. This man wow. is scoring That's like crazy, and he's doing it almost all by himself, like actually all by himself. And so to have him do that, but then also to see him up his distribution numbers um, from 3.8 for his career to now 6.2 this season, uh, his three-point percentage is 41.5, field goal percentage is uh, 50.9. So he is increasing across all categories while carrying this team pretty much by himself. Now, add to that the fact that the Thunder have like 30 first round picks in the next five years, they're going to surround him with amazing talent. And that team is going to be this young nucleus of great talent that maybe they land like a second tier free agent because they're going to be such a young and exciting team with a budding point guard. And so as I look to the top five point guards in the league right now, um, you know, Chris Paul is going to retire probably in the next two to three years. So he's off that list. Dane and Steph Curry, I think will still be good and still be great, but they're going to be getting closer to the wrong side of 30. Steph will be about 35. And I think Dane will be, um, getting up there as well, be 32, 33. So they're going to be on their probably decline. And then Luca, Kyrie, Trey Young, I think all of them will still be in the mix for top five. But Shea, with a good core around him, with the strides that he has had this year, to me, he makes it into the top five. Yeah, I got to agree with you. I love his production. Um, and he's only 22 years old. He still can get a lot better. I think the only question really comes down to whether you consider him a point guard or a shooting guard. But I mean, these days we're starting to trend more and more to a positionless style game of basketball. And he is the guy that oftentimes has the ball in his hands. So I guess it's fair to consider him a point guard of the modern NBA. 
despite the officially listed shooting guard position. But moving on to another shooting guard in the league, Karis LeVert returned to the court after kidney surgery, plead his case for why his addition to the Pacers will give them what they need to jump into the playoffs. They currently sit at the ninth spot. Yeah, so, I mean, it's good to see him make it back to the floor, first of all. Uh, but I think overall for Karras, um, he was having a good season before he got traded. And he was up in terms of points per game. He was up in terms of assists per game. His shooting percentages were, like, a little bit low around his career averages. But all in all, he was getting better. And now he's going to a team where he's going to be the guy, if not the guy, one of the guys. And so I think his addition is huge for this team that as of late, they've gone a pretty deep losing skid uh, out of their last 10 games to three and seven. So I think it can only help. And this is the East we're talking about. Atlanta, yeah, they've been playing inspired ball, but this is the same team that was 14 and 20 five games ago. Um, New York, I still think they're going to end up having a losing skid and end up going down in the rankings. And the Hornets, while they've been good in playing inspired ball, um, I don't know that they can keep up that level of play throughout. So the Pacers very much so are alive in the East, and adding Karras can definitely uh, boost them in terms of getting to that 7-8 or even the play-in game. Yeah, I agree with you. There's no reason why on paper the Pacers shouldn't make the playoffs given the roster they have. Getting Karis Levert back, that's adding 18.1 points per game, 5.7 assists, and 4.5 rebounds per game to DeMontis Sabonis' already all-star level production, recent winner of the all-star skills challenge. They have Malcolm Brogdon on the roster, um, and their depth isn't too bad. Um, they still have, obviously, uh, Miles Turner as well. So they get maybe the addition of TJ Warren back. I think that they have enough firepower to make some noise. So moving on to the next one, Carmelo Anthony passes Hakeem Olajuwon for 11th all-time on the NBA scoring list. Plead his case for why Carmelo is still somehow underrated and is historically an all-time great. Yeah, I think he's underrated or rather rated the way that he is because of the ego issues he had in Denver and then the ego issues that he carried with him to New York. But you kind of saw towards the end of New York and definitely when he went to OKC, those ego issues were gone. But it's really hard to repair your reputation. And so I think for him, now that he's been with the Trailblazers for two seasons and is beloved by everybody on that team, He's finally comfortable again and is enjoying himself. He even brought the mellow braids back. So I think he's right now, if you look at his stat line, yeah, he's not scoring the 23 points a game that he used to, but he's shooting better from three than he has in his entire career. He's shooting better from the free throw line than he has in his entire career. And so given that he's on a team with Damian and on a team with CJ and he doesn't have to be that guy, he can just be himself and go out there and score and play loose. So I think he's definitely um, 
rated the way that he is. I wouldn't necessarily say underrated, but just rated the way that he is because of his attitude when he started in the league. But even if he never wins a championship, he's definitely a first ballot Hall of Famer, just given his given his track record in the league and what he's done uh, for the league and winning three uh, Olympic gold medals. I, I think Lamelo is going to go down as a Hall of Famer and deservedly so. Yeah, I agree. I think he'll definitely be a Hall of Famer. I agree with what you said about why that affected his perception. I think the other aspect, too, that really hurt his perception is the fact that he is a player that represents a playing style that has gone out of style, or at least he used to. He was a very isolation-heavy, mid-range volume shooter who wasn't exactly very high efficiency in terms of his jump shot percentage. And he was still a very uh, prolific scorer, but it seems that the league, they changed their style and became a more ball movement league, searching for open three-pointers, dribble drives, layups, cuts, and the isolation ball of basketball that he liked to play kind of went out of style. And he, like you said, for a while seemed to be fighting, changing his style or adapting to the way that the game had changed. But ultimately, this is a guy that has still, like you said, won a couple of Olympic gold medals, won a scoring title in the NBA once, scoring 28.7 points per game one year. So um, I think that ultimately he winds up being a first ballot Hall of Famer. And I think that when he retires, we'll have a lot more appreciation for his game, um, given that he's been repairing his appearance and the perception that fans have towards him since he joined the Blazers. But moving on, Anthony Edwards goes off for a career-high 34 points and mocks the aforementioned Carmelo Anthony in the win with the three-to-the-dome celebration after hitting one in his face. Hits a career-high six threes as well. Plead his case for why people are actually wrong, and he is deserving of the number one overall pick. I think Anthony Edwards is doing what most rookies don't do and getting into the headlines for actually good reasons. And every single week, I feel like we see another Anthony Edwards dunk on somebody that he's postering, and he's just playing extremely well uh, in his rookie season. So he's kind of putting to rest the notion that he's not focused on basketball or that he's not passionate about basketball because clearly he's been working on his game and he's carving up vets, rookies, and all the same. So good for, good for Ant. He's the one bright spot that Minnesota can focus on. Yeah, over his last five games, we've got point totals of 24 points, 19, 27, 21, and then a career high of 34 last night. His scoring average overall is up to 15.8 a game. So he has been improving. His free throw percentage at 80% is really encouraging. And his three-point shooting percentage leaves a lot to be desired. So does his field goal percentage. But seeing games like last night, make you encouraged that he can maybe do that a little bit more consistently. So I think um, he obviously has elite athleticism. He's extremely confident to be mocking a Hall of Famer um, with his own taunt, I guess, right after making the shot. He has the kind of confidence that you need to be able to make it and develop to a star in this league. It's just going to really depend on how consistent can he be. If he can become consistent, then he'll be worthy of that number one overall pick. 
if he can't really develop that sort of consistency, I think that he'll be more of like Nuggets era J.R. Smith, which is still fun from time to time, but um, not obviously number one pick worthy. So it's still really early in his career. We'll see. But performances like last night definitely make you optimistic about the future if you're a Wolves fan. Absolutely. Well, good show. We'll see what happens if there's any blockbusters. But with that, I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Sterb. Court is adjourned.